0: Well, there is a recently published memoir that I am interested in getting my hands on, but it's selling out so fast I have not been able to. The cover of this book is Sunshine Yellow, and it features a picture of the ponytailed author on the cover, smiling and holding up a bubblegum pink urn. And the title is I'm Glad My Mom Died. It's a very provocative title, very clever marketing. And by all accounts, it's funny, but it's also a serious account of how the author, who was a child actress, now age 30, came to grips with this psychological torment she suffered at the hands of her mother and consequently the relief she felt when her mother's death brought an end to their troubled relationship. Now, obviously, I haven't read the book yet, but I've read some reviews and interviews with the author. And I suspect one of the reasons it's striking such a chord with readers is that the author is making a genuine effort to come to grips with the real damage that sin does and the apparent impossibility of forgiveness, even when you'd like to forgive I'll have to wait to see what the conclusions this author comes to on this important topic. But in the meantime, I'm happy to report that today's gospel passage tackles these same critical issues. And they come from the perspective of someone who suffered more injustice from the sins of others than anyone who ever lived. The prodigal son is one of Jesus' best known parables but historically it's not been one of my personal favorites. I heard it several times as a kid and as a young person. And to me, it kind of sounded like, blah, 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 real estate, blah, 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 pig food, blah, 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 forgiveness. Moral of the story, God loves us. But things have changed for me over the years. As a kid, sin and forgiveness seemed like pretty abstract concepts. But more than that, Um, We are all pretty fiercely invested, all of us, in downplaying the horror of sin and in avoiding the desperate, aching, helpless, universal human need for a forgiveness that we can't earn. Despite being surrounded by the evidence of sin in virtually Every moment of every day, we spend an enormous amount of energy trying to reassure ourselves and others that forgiveness is unnecessary. Half the time we're reassuring ourselves and others that there's nothing to forgive. I'm okay. You're okay. It's all good. You do you. No harm, no foul. Don't let anyone tell you how to live. There are no moral absolutes, no shoulds, no oughts, only preferences, and values. Uh, But at the same time, we're also constantly pointing out a whole bunch of sins that are so bad we shouldn't even think about forgiving them. Either way, forgiveness is seen as irrelevant to our lives. So you can live for a number of years, in my case, more than 20 years, before sin knocks you down so hard that all the denial stops working. Sooner or later, we are confronted deeply and personally with the horror of sin, maybe in ourselves or maybe in someone else. And we cry out for the first time from the depths of a broken heart that forgiveness seems impossible, but how can I go on without it? In this story, Jesus describes two brothers, one who asks for forgiveness and one who is asked to forgive. Jesus begins in verse 11. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided it, the property between them, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. The son in the story, the younger son seems to be single and unencumbered, probably a very young man indeed. And in the normal course of nature, the death of his father and the division of the family property wouldn't happen for decades. For him to ask for his share of his inheritance was pretty unusual, pretty shocking, pretty disruptive, and deeply hurtful. The property in question belonged to his father, who was still alive, who was still presumably actively using the land to provide for himself and for his household. The younger of two sons would inherit about a third of the total estate. So the fulfillment of this request would substantially diminish his father's standard of living for the remainder of his life. And it's not like the younger son simply wanted to uh, take up active management of the land he would receive, try some innovative new farming techniques or something. He sold the land to a neighbor or maybe even a stranger. He grabbed the cash and he got out of town. But of course, the practical inconvenience of the request is just part of it. On the one hand, all the younger son is doing is putting his own interests just in front of the interests of his father and his family. Nothing about this violated the law of men. But, as with so many perfectly legal sins, the damage to the people involved was immense. Even in our culture, most of us would balk at telling our parents we'd like to cash in now on what we're going to get when they're dead. Hey, mom. Hey, dad. I've been thinking about the fact that, you know, you're going to die sooner or later. And I've got to say, I am really looking forward to how much better my life is going to be when you're dead and I get your stuff. I don't really need the money, but I really would like it. And frankly, I don't want to wait until you're dead. Is there any way I could cash in on your death right now? Because I'd like to start living now like you're already dead so the younger son makes this cruel request and his father says yes. Within days, the younger son sets off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living and he spent everything he had. The language of the text is unequivocal. That means he wasted it. He burned through his entire inheritance fast and was left with nothing of value to show for it, except maybe a good time for a brief season. And when it was gone, he was in bad shape. Verse 14, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine to that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. And here is where the pain in his life became big enough that he was willing to reckon with the reality of his sin. Verse 17: When he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. When the money ran out, the suffering began. And this young man showed a willingness to accept responsibility for the fallout of his decisions. He wasn't too proud to take the only job available to him, which for a Jewish boy was a terribly humiliating one, caring for unclean animals. But by God's mercy, when he realized that even his best attempts to provide for himself, to recover from the error of his sin, he came to himself. He came to his senses. This is a big deal. (laughs) Before this, the younger son seemed like he was fully invested in the same fantasy of autonomy that we are, the one where we all agree to pretend that we are free to decide for ourselves what's best with no regard to the interest of others or to the laws of God. But when his sinful choices led him to the end of his own resources, he regained his senses and was able to see things the way God sees them. God created all of humanity to be one extended human family. And the laws that God sets in place are for the well-being of everyone the younger son understood that when he sinned against the laws of heaven, he hurt his father. And he knew that while he was no longer worthy of his father's goodwill, he now also knew through bitter experience that life apart from his father and away from his father's household was unbearable. Now, This is a really, really critical place to be spiritually, to get to the point where you realize for the first time that you've done real damage to other people, to realize that nobody owes you forgiveness, but then also to recognize that you can't live without forgiveness It's important to recognize these truths, but it is dangerous to get stuck there. So many of our beloved neighbors in Chicago and so many even inside the church get stuck in a place where they do believe finally in the gravity of their sin. They feel their unworthiness, but they can't believe in the possibility of forgiveness. This is a terrible place to be, to go right up to the break of the good news but stop just before it because but by the time our awareness is of sin is so strong that forgiveness seems impossible that means the good news is right around the corner so don't stop there don't stop in guilt and shame keep going in the story because the gospel is coming up next When the young man came to his senses, he remembered the goodness of his father. And he decided to entrust himself to the father's mercy. Verse 20, And he arose and came to his father. And what happens next is the stuff of miracles. It is the bursting forth of new life on a planet ravaged by sin and death. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I have sinned against heaven. And before you, I am no longer worthy to be your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. The young man didn't know exactly what to expect when he turned, turned his step toward home, but he had a tiny seed of hope, a tiny mustard seed of faith in his father, and he acted on it. Praise the Lord. The reception of the father was so far beyond what the son had any right or reason to expect. He barely finishes his prepared speech before he is covered with hugs and kisses, and robes, and rings, and is ushered into a feast in his honor. What a strange and wondrous miracle. The Father's love for us is a miracle, and yet the Father treats us like we are the miracle. He loves us so much. He is filled with such joy at our return. The generous compassion of the Father is what seems impossible, but it's real. You and I tend to approach repentance as something dreadful, as if it were repentance that was deadly rather than the sin itself. What can be more miserable and embarrassing and fearful, we think, than saying out loud that we have sinned and we're not worthy of forgiveness and we can't fix what we have damaged? But when God sees our repentance, he recognizes right away the miracle of resurrection happening inside of us, and he goes wild with joy. We may still be reeling from guilt and shame, uncertain of our reception. Meanwhile, his forgiveness has already unleashed in us the glory of resurrection, and we pass from the death of sin into the life of the father's love in an instant. Isn't that amazing? But the story is not over. We have witnessed in the first half of the parable that there is good news for those of us who feel it is impossible to be forgiven. Now we get to find out if there is good news for those who fear it might be impossible to forgive. Maybe this is you. Maybe someone sinned deeply against you and they seemed to move on in their lives without a care in the world while you were left up to pick up the pieces. Perhaps it was a long-term dating relationship gone bad where your beloved lied and cheated and you broke up and two months later they got engaged to someone else, happy as can be, while you're left to deal with depression and trust issues that you didn't have before. Or you partner with a colleague and invest heavily in a big project together. And your colleague makes decisions against your advice that are in their best interests and not at all in yours. You end up with a setback that takes years and years to recover from, but they never even acknowledge the damage they've done. It's one thing to describe these situations. They don't even set very high on the spectrum of human suffering, but it is another to live through them. And I know because these particular examples aren't hypothetical, they're part of my own story. And I vividly remember one particular evening I spent on the beach not far from here, pacing back and forth, crying and praying and occasionally kind of yelling and growling like a crazy person, telling the Lord how unfair it was to be stuck with all this deep, deep anger that I didn't want, but I had to work through. And then on top of that, to add an expectation of forgiveness? How could that be right? Well, thank God we have direct access to Jesus who himself knows literally better than anyone else what it's like to pay the price for someone else's garbage. Let's finish the story that he has to tell. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come and your father has fil- killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. Now, if you are the parent of more than one child or if you have siblings yourself and can remember, you may know that human beings are equipped at birth with an exquisitely, an exquisite sensitivity to who's getting away with What? and whether they ought to or not. The older brother in this story seems to have sniffed out a massive injustice. His younger brother disrespected the father and disregarded the goodness of the father. His younger brother shook the dust off his father's house from his feet and took off for greener pastures. His younger brother squandered his father's inheritance And now he's back, and the father is not only letting him move back in like nothing happened, he throws a party for him. I can't speak for the older son, but I know my fear in situations like this is that extending forgiveness might make things worse. Feels like letting go of my resentment is the same thing as letting go of justice and what's right. But the truth is that withholding forgiveness restores nothing. Refusing to forgive doesn't speed the healing of a broken heart. Hanging on to resentment doesn't pay off debt any faster. In fact, Jesus seems to say that refusing to forgive is in itself an unjust act. It's counterintuitive. It's ironic but it's true. Let's look at the remainder of this story and see if we can start seeing the ironing. His father came out and entreated the older son, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Now, culturally, once the son learned from the servant that his father was throwing a party in celebration of his brother's return, it was his duty as the son of the household to join the celebration, maybe even to co-host with him. His father really shouldn't have had to leave the celebration, leave the feast table to come out and reason with his son. And the language of entreaty means that the father didn't come out, pop out to ask a question just once he repeatedly pleaded tenderly with his older son again and again. You start seeing some irony here. It seems at heart that the older brother is maybe not as different from the younger one as he once thought because now the older son is disrespecting the father and disregarding his goodness. Now the older brother is standing apart from his father's house and refusing to go in. Now the older brother is squandering the father's inheritance, an inheritance of forgiveness and mercy and love. And all the while the older brother is convinced that he obeys his father's every command. He does nothing wrong. Isn't that tragic? We are born into a world where we are constantly suffering the consequences of other people's sins, and it's normal and natural to feel the injustice of that. What is not just though, is our refusal to acknowledge what we share in common with those who sin against us. Not necessarily the type or degree of sin, but kind of everything else about it. We too have sinned against heaven and before our Father. We too have burdened others unjustly with the damage from our self-interestness. We too find ourselves completely unable to repair the damage our sin has done. When we deny others the forgiveness that we ourselves cannot live without we are not correcting the injustice of the world. We are adding to it. Whether my sins are bigger or smaller than the sins of other people is irrelevant here because all of us cause damage we can't fix. No one owes any of us forgiveness, and yet none of us can survive without it. The good news is that my Father in heaven, beyond all reasonable expectation, stands before me, holding out forgiveness anyway, keeping me with love and with grace. And I cannot embrace undeserved mercy for myself and then deny that mercy to someone else on the grounds that they don't deserve it. That's not justice. That's crazy talk. The forgiveness of the Lord is available to anyone and everyone the moment they repent. But we don't even have to wait for someone to repent to the Lord before we can join the Father's celebration of forgiveness. We can forgive people that we're never going to see on earth again, either because they're too unsafe to go near or because they have, we've been parted by death. The Father is here now inviting us to leave resentment behind and join in the Father's celebration of unmerited grace. Now, what does this mean for us, those of us who do want to forgive? but it feels like we can't. We see the justice in forgiveness, but forgiveness still feels impossible. I think that pressing into the divine logic here is a good place to start, especially when we are in the grip of pain and grief and anger. It is so grounding to center ourselves in the reality As God sees it, come, let us reason together, saith the Lord through the prophet Isaiah. And though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. That is godly reasoning. That is godly logic. But if you're anything like me, reason alone will not take you across the finish line of forgiveness. It is discouraging to find that being willing to forgive doesn't mean that anger and resentment evaporate. And that could be scary. After all, Jesus himself said, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. What in the world does that mean for the person who would love to be released from the burden of unforgiveness? It just can't seem to make it happen. Just like the younger son couldn't get himself out of the predicament his sin caused. You and I and the older brother don't have what it takes on our own to forgive those who have really wounded us. But happily, we are not on our own. We are not left to our own inadequate devices. When the younger son returned in repentance from the distant country, who ran out to meet him? the father but even while the older brother was still holding on tight to his resentment not repentant at all who left the party and went out to meet him the father listen to the words of the father to one who finds it hard to forgive my child you are Always with me, and all that is mine is yours. If you have been sinned against, the Father is already on the way out to meet you. He wants to be with you, even if your heart is still hard, and He brings with Him full access to all the love and grace and forgiveness that pours from His own heart, all the resources of our home in heaven, are available to us now. God is not standing back, arms folded, waiting to see if you can finish the work of forgiveness before he's going to forgive you. The moment you turn your face toward him in humble awareness that you need help to forgive, you will find him running out to meet you, calling for his servants to give you everything you need and you can repeat that process together with the lord over and over for as long as you need to it may be years before the journey of forgiveness is complete but with every step you take along that path god rushes forward to meet you celebrating and rejoicing over you with great joy parable closes with a cliffhanger invitation. It ends with these words of the Father. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. An open invitation. Whether the sin that feels impossible to forgive is your own sin or someone else's, the Father is standing before you now with the invitation to the feast of unmerited grace. Will you say yes and enter his joy? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.